Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Mercy, it's 10.41 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the last day of the second month of 2023. That would be February 28th. And this is episode 680 of Bitcoin. And I'm entitling it the Union Jack Doesn't Know Jack. We'll figure out why. Topics for today are going to be OpVault. That's right. We've got another speedy trial thing on deck, or at least maybe we'll figure that one out. Americans are starting to understand that they don't understand money. (laughs) Really? Just Americans? Oh, bullshit. (laughs) More inscriptions are coming your way, pal. Do you need to sell your house to buy more corn? We're going to think about it. Uh, Taxes. You can now use TaxBit and Cash App. The Bank of England just can't hang. And that's the one that inspired the title for today's show. The Union Jack doesn't know Jack. And it basically eh, solidifies my thoughts over the last couple of episodes about, you know, going into CBDCs and technologically why they're inept. Uh, Solana is down again or was down. Legacy Finance is saying no to crypto and a whole bunch of wrapped BTC gets burned. It's possible, if time is allowing, that we run down some multi-sig wallets as well, but we'll have to wait and see how the show actually runs. Now, beginning today's news, we have a proposed Bitcoin vault feature that could thwart malicious hackers. This is the op vault thing. This is out of Coindesk, written by Frederick Munawa. I hope I've got his name right. Bitcoin developer James O'Burney has been quietly working on a feature that alerts users when someone tries to steal their Bitcoin, then thwarts the theft by diverting funds to a more secure wallet. The feature is called a vault, a type of Bitcoin smart contract or covenant that puts constraints on how a Bitcoin can be spent. Vault users must broadcast two, count them two separate transactions in two different blocks before spending their Bitcoin. An alert is issued after the first transaction, which has a time delay, allowing users to either approve the transaction or sweep the coins to an alternative wallet. The feature requires a soft fork, which is a backwards compatible change to the blockchain, and if adopted, will be represented by the operational code or opcode OpVault in Bitcoin Core, the primary software for connecting to the Bitcoin network. Um, I kind of want to, I don't think that when they said, this is me speaking, uh, that a soft fork is a backwards compatible change to the blockchain. Uh, that, no, I don't know. I'm just going to say it. 
I may be wrong in my understanding of this, but I don't think I am. No, it's not to the blockchain. That's the ledger part of Bitcoin. We're talking about the actual code. This is a change, a soft core or a soft fork to Bitcoin core, okay? Not the actual blockchain. Again, if I am really wrong on that, don't don't be afraid to tell me just how wrong I am, uh, especially if you do it through a boostergram. Anyway, quote, the hazard of custodying Bitcoin is well known, O'Burney wrote in his draft proposal. This proposal introduces a mechanism that significantly mitigates the worst case outcome of a key compromise, coin loss. And key compromise means compromise of your private keys, by the way. O'Burney's proposal is not the first of its kind. A couple of years ago, Bitcoin developer Jeremy Rubin proposed check template verify under Bitcoin improvement proposal 119, or otherwise known as BIP 119. Much like OpVault, CTV, or Check Template Verify, also uses covenants to create vaults. The key difference is that while O'Burney's proposal is designed specifically for vaults, Check Template Verify is a more general tool that can be used to create vaults, payment tools, and even reduce fees during periods of high transaction volume, a feature Rubin calls congestion control. Quote, CTV is more general than OpVault, Bitcoin researcher John Light told Coindesk in an interview. Quote, you can still build a type of vault with CTV, but you can also do other things. You can do congestion control. You can do non-interactive lightning channel opening. There's a few different applications that Jeremy has experimented with using CTV that are not vaults, end quote. Currently, the fate of check template verify is unclear. Ruben announced an indefinite hiatus for Bitcoin development last month. I can only imagine why. Uh, by the way, he said his announcement reads thusly in Twitter, perhaps obvious. I'm no longer actively involved in Bitcoin development. Still happy to chime in on an occasional question, but consider me on a sabbatical with no end date. No desire to do a Mike Hearn rage quit, so don't expect a new Bitcoin obituary. Eh... That's always sad to see. Oh, well. Now, speedy trial. The chatter around OpVault has been steadily increasing, but it's not clear when the proposal will be merged into Bitcoin Core, if at all. Many proposals are debated and refined for years before being adopted or abandoned. O'Burney recommended speedy trial, the same process used to activate the 2021 Taproot upgrade as the preferred method for activating OpVault. Speedy Trial allocates a three-month activation window for the Bitcoin network to reach a threshold of miners who signal support for a proposed upgrade. The upgrade is adopted only if that specific threshold is reached. The use of Speedy Trial isn't without detractors, some of whom believe it gives certain groups within the Bitcoin community way too much influence. Quote, Taproot Speedy was a terrible idea, tweeted Francis Pouliot. CEO of Bitcoin Exchange, Bitcoin Bull, quote, the precedent for soft fork collusion between groups of influential devs and miners, end quote. As to the fate of OpVault over the next few months, Light says that it's too soon to tell. Now, that's the end of the article, but I want to revisit this uh, almost this next to last paragraph. Um, 
The speedy trial allocates a three-month activation window for the Bitcoin network to reach a threshold of miners who signal support for a proposed upgrade. And this is where I agree 100% with Francis Pouliot. Why just the miners? If speedy trial was to be, God, I hate using the word democratic because that's two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. But for lack of a better term, if it wanted to be democratic, then why aren't node operators involved in being able to put a flag up on their nodes that say, I am in favor of this as well? This is what we did during USAF. And we were directly opposed to a bunch of miners that said that they were going to increase the block size on SegWit2x and the New York agreement. It was the node runners that made the decision, okay? And yet Speedy Trial doesn't have any way that I know of for a node operator themselves to be able to verify that they indeed want or do not want a certain soft fork to go forward. Why is it just the miners? In this particular case, I am 100% in agreement with Francis Pouliot that speedy trial is, is not a good way to do this. And, and what, what did we see with Taproot? What did Taproot activate? Hmm, let me see. Oh, ordinals and inscriptions. Uh, along with SegWit, by the way. And, and SegWit, so, you know, we didn't see it as, as a node operator. I would have never thought in a million years that ordinals and inscriptions would fall fall out of SegWit if and when Taproot was activated because we weren't really even talking about Taproot at that time. I think somebody had mentioned it. It was on the wind. I don't think any code had been written for it yet. It was just a theoretical at the time, but SegWit certainly was not theoretical. And SegWit and segregated or segregated witness was definitely written. We were voting on it. We were telling New York the New York agreement guys to, you know, sit and spin or go pound sand or whatever. And Taproot was just kind of like a glimmer in the eyes of the developers at the time. But then when Taproot came in, well, you know, <laughs> that dude, was it Casey Rod Armor? Yeah, Casey Rod Armor. Uh, well, made it, made it possible for, God forbid, NFTs and things like it to go onto the Bitcoin blockchain and be held there in perpetuity. I think maybe we should probably look at OpVault as well as check, check template verify. We should look at this very hard and maybe not under a speedy trial, maybe under a long duration trial where we have like, I don't know, two different votes, one from the miners, one from the node operators, but who am I leaving out? How do the users flag that they want it too? If if they could, maybe in a wallet, you know, would 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 a wallet trans? You know, would a, if I made a transaction in a wallet and that wallet said, "Hey, you know, we have the ability for you to vote with this transaction of the upcoming op vault, you know, or 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 check template verify or BIP one nineteen. Do you want to signal your support for BIP 119 with this transaction? If so, you know, click here, something like that. Because one of the things about leaving out a set of stakeholders is that it's never good. It's never a good idea to leave out an entire set of stakeholders. And in Bitcoin, we have miners, we have node operators, we have users. Some of us do all three. Some of us do only two and some of us do only one, right? That's... That's your choices. But I, after the, the, this thing with ordinals and inscriptions, 
the question has to become, what would Op Vault or BIP 119 allow for? And if we're pressing this in speedy trial, do we have time to do the game theoreticals? And I can't do them. It's going to take someone a hell of a lot smarter than I am, or at least a lot more in the know of how this stuff actually works behind the scenes, under the hood, and, and down inside the engine itself to be able to figure out or have a hope in hell of determining a possible thing that might be gamed with like in, in Op Vault. I have to make two transactions. This is a, honestly, that's a, a user experience nightmare, I think. But I make a transaction and then I've got to make another transaction. Is there a possibility in any way, shape or form that that can be gamed? Not by the guy making the transaction, but it may be somebody else watching a transaction. I don't know. But nobody really seemed to be thinking very hard about what taproot would start. So I'm, I'm, I am asking for all the, those that will listen, that if you have access to the developers, uh, maybe say, can we just take a good look knowing what ordinals and inscriptions have brought to us and take a good look to make sure that we're not going to, or, or at least do due diligence and at least try to make sure that we're not going to activate something that we really don't want to activate. That's where I'm coming with all of this. Now, Oh, with this one, Bitcoin Policy Institute announces a one-day summit in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I've got a bone to pick with this one, too. BTC Casey from Bitcoin Magazine tells us about it. The Bitcoin Policy Institute, a think tank dedicated to Bitcoin research, activism, and education, has announced the Bitcoin Policy Summit taking place April the 26th in 2023 over in the swamp otherwise known as Washington, D.C. The summit's website describes the event as a one-day invite-only policy conference exploring Bitcoin as a strategic opportunity for the United States. Speakers in attendance come from a variety of professional and political backgrounds. Headliners include United States Senator Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming, House Representative Tom uh, Emmer from Minnesota, Krebs Stamos, Director of Intelligence, and BPI Fellow Matthew Pines, the Human Rights Foundation's CSO Alex Gladstein, as well as many other well-known figures. Several different panels are listed on the agenda, ranging from topics uh, like what makes Bitcoin unique among cryptocurrencies, how Bitcoin protects human rights, to Bitcoin and public policy, legislation and regulation, and Bitcoin mining, separating fact from fiction. There are also networking opportunities available for those in attendance. Oh, you mean the invitees? With allotted times for coffee, happy hour, and heavy or divorce. I guess that means a ribeye steak. I don't know. Policy Institute, Bitcoin Policy Institute describes itself as a nonpartisan, nonprofit, think researching. Good Lord. BTC Casey, I think what you meant was a nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank researching the impacts of Bitcoin and other emerging monetary networks. BPI provides educational resources to policymakers while empowering fellows from all over the country to conduct original academic research on cryptocurrency and tech-related issues, end quote. Invitations for the event to be hosted at the National Press Club Ballroom can be requested here. Okay, that's not 
that's not terrible. At least they're having an, uh, you can request an invitation. <laughs> you think they're going to give an invitation to a pleb like me? Probably not. However, I haven't even tried, so I've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. But invite only really disturbs the shit out of me. If you're going to do invite only, then you should at least announce that you're going to open source the entire discussion, the videos, or at least just the audio of all the talks, all the questions, all that kind of stuff. I should be allowed to listen to what happened at this meeting of the Bitcoin Policy Institute. And I'm not saying that it's unfair that I haven't been invited. I'm not saying that it's unfair that I don't have the money to go to the swamp. I'm not saying that it's unfair that I don't want to go to the swamp in spring. And I call it a swamp because it's actually a swamp. That's why it's called that. I don't know if anybody knows that, but Washington, D.C. was built on a swamp. They had to backfill it. They had to drain most of it. I don't even know why they did that shit. It's like, it seems easier to go, hey, how about we not build this thing on swampy ground. And if you ever think that somebody's lying to you about it being on a swamp, do this. Go to the Lincoln Memorial, go to the basement if they still allow that, and look at the amount of water that is collected in the basement that constantly has to be pumped out. It's a swamp. It really is. Again, I just don't understand why anybody would want to build build their their nation's capital on a swamp. It doesn't make any sense at all. Anyway, most Americans are optimistic about Bitcoin and crypto, frustrated by current monetary system, according to a survey. This is uh, Bitcoin Magazine, MBTCKC's writing this one again. A study conducted by Morning Consult on behalf of Coinbase Examine the perceptions of the global financial system and how United States adults and cryptocurrency investors view the future of the cryptocurrency markets. It found that Americans believe the current financial system needs to be updated, and there is optimism about owning Bitcoin as we head into the future. The survey found that, quote, 80% of Americans say the global financial system unfairly favors powerful interests, end quote. In addition, 67% said that the financial system needs a major overhaul. Interestingly, younger Americans are most likely to favor cryptocurrency and view it as a worthwhile asset for the future. With the various challenges presented over the last couple of decades, including the 2008 financial crisis, the COVID-19 lockdowns, and subsequent economic fallout, unsurprisingly, quote, among U.S. adults, the top word associations with the global financial system are expensive, unfair, and confusing. Each one of those terms garnering about 34 to 30% of the vote. 20% of Americans own cryptocurrency, which has remained consistent each quarter since January of 2022, the survey states. Despite the downturn in the broader cryptocurrency market, as a result of various bankruptcies and failures in 2022, Americans consistently express interest in owning digital assets. Another interesting note is that current investors who already hold digital assets still hold a favorable view with 84% likely to buy cryptocurrency over the next 12 months. Many Bitcoiners have demonstrated the various ways in which the fiat monetary system exhibits the attributes that these respondents have applied to. The survey is further evidence that changes in the monetary system are not only needed, 
but embraced by people who have been living under a fiat system their entire lives. Yeah, in fact, uh, when you think about it, the, you know, the, it, what was it? Uh, 80% of Americans say global financial system unfairly favors powerful interest. Well, duh. Bitcoiners have been bringing you that shit forever. And guess what? Even before Bitcoin, there was a whole bunch of people who were saying the exact same shit. You know what they were labeled as? Tinfoil hatters. Yep. Now, boostograms. From yesterday's show, episode 679, I got Nick underscore dose with his customary 369 sat donation and the word cheers. Yay. Van Man Jr. with a big 20,000 sat boost says, thanks for doing the rundowns. You're welcome, dude. I, I like doing it. I get pumped every time I do the show. Well, not every time. Sometimes when I do it with a hangover, it kind of sucks ass, but you know, it has to be done. Fat Toshi with 101 Satoshi says, do not read on air. Oh shit. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He'll get back to me. <laughs> I read some stuff. I'm not going to read it on air. He's going to get back to me trying to do my bit for king and country and not read shit on air when you say don't read on air. But 101 sats is uh, appreciated. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Fatoshi. J.C. Denton. Uh, this is, yes, uh, episode 678 still. Uh, no, sir, thank you. With 2100 sats. And are we still here? Yep. Uh, Bim Bim says, 100, with 100 sats says, the DEA, Binance, and you with a thumbs up. Basically, just a you know, thumbs up. And that looks like that's going to do it. No, I got one more. Found your pod on Noster. Great stuff. Subscribe says, Joseph Joey Joe with 210 sats. Is there anybody else? Oh, Nick underscore dose with cheers. Again, 369 sats. And then at gig with a thousand sats, but I already read that one because that was episode 677 and we are on 680. So I am done with El Boostagramos. Now, remember we were talking about Op Vault, check template, verify. Maybe we should rethink shit. Why should we rethink stuff or maybe not rethink it, but, you know, spend a little quality time with the proposals that are on deck, maybe do a little bit of game theoreticals on it for, you know, especially for people that know how to do that shit. Because Board Ape Yacht Club creator Yuga Labs reveals its very first Bitcoin NFT project. Yep, I know you don't want to hear it, but it's real. It's happening. You might as well figure it out. Sander Lutz helps us from Decrypt. Yuga Labs, the $4 billion company behind dominant NFT collection Board Ape Yacht Club, will debut its first ever Bitcoin-based NFT project later this week, the company announced on Monday. <coughs> Excuse me. The collection, called 12-fold, will consist of 300 limited edition generative art pieces, each inscribed to the Bitcoin blockchain, it's one of the highest profile launches to date via Ordinals, a recently launched way of committing artwork and media to Bitcoin by permanently attaching it to an individual Atoshi or one one hundred millionth of a full Bitcoin. <clears throat> the pieces, all 12 by 12 grids, an homage to the manner in which data is stored on the Bitcoin blockchain will combine 3D graphics and hand-drawn features 
The project was designed and created by Yuga's in-house art team, and the company said that it has no connection to its Ethereum-based IP or intellectual property and will have no future interactions or utility in that regard. Twelvefold marks a departure from Yuga's past offerings in a few key ways. Most notably, every other project under the Yuga banner currently lives on the Ethereum blockchain, the leading network for NFT projects. Yes, that be shitcoin number one. Uh, that list includes the Bored Ape Yacht Club, the spinoff, the Mutant Ape, Ape Yacht Club, and virtual land plots for the upcoming Other Side Metaverse game. Yuga Labs also owns CryptoPunks and MeBits, two blue chip Ethereum NFT projects created by Larva Labs that Yuga purchased the intellectual property rights for last year. 12fold also stands apart from those projects in terms of size. Whereas all other Yuga owned collections boast 10,000 or more NFTs, 12fold will consist of only 300 pieces. It's closer in approach to Autoglyphs an influential Larva Labs generative art project on Ethereum that spans just 512 NFTs. Quote, all of these choices are a departure from what's expected from Yuga, co-founder Greg Solano wrote in a blog post accompanying Monday's announcement. But you know, fuck doing expected things. That's actually written here. Quote, we're excited about ordinal inscriptions and what the future holds for digital artifacts on Bitcoin, he continued. Yuga said that it will announce the auction details later this week and that the information will come 24 hours in advance of the actual sale. Ordinals have commanded the attention of the NFT world over the past month. And while the idea of NFT-like assets imprinted on the blockchain has irked some Bitcoin maximalists, it's catching on in a very big way. More than 200,000 unique ordinals have been minted as of today, including from notable projects like D-Gods and On-Chain Monkey. Oh, Jesus, there are even CryptoPunks clones on Bitcoin now. Yuga's foray into Bitcoin NFTs also come at a time when the company's most stable revenue stream appears to be in jeopardy. Oh, jump and ship, just like the rat I thought you were. NFT creators like Yuga depend on creator royalties a fee typically between 5 and 10% levied on secondary sales of NFTs on shitcoin number one marketplaces like OpenSea. Earlier this month, however, OpenSea stopped enforcing some royalties in an effort to stave off competition from its emergent rival, NFT trading platform Blur. Yuga Labs had previously criticized OpenSea for considering the move. Okay, look, this does a there's a couple things here. Uh, NFTs and inscriptions and ordinals and all that shit is not going away, apparently. I keep thinking <clears throat> that this is just a fad, but I, I maybe their marketing for the NFTs was so good that the younger generation is completely hooked on turning over their real actual time that they deliver goods and services with to other people in reality is turned into a monkey. Let that sink in. I mean... It, it's sad. And I just feel that all these younger, these younger people are being very much taken advantage of. And some of the boomers will tell me, you know, I'm Gen X, so I'm right in the middle of all this shit. The boomers would tell me, yeah, well, that's what Bitcoin is. Well, no, because there's actual work that goes behind Bitcoin. Which brings me to the generative art 
nature of NFTs in general. Generative art. Has anybody described what generative art is? Now, clearly, we're in the midst of all this AI stuff. That is a type of generative art. But I got a note here. Let me see what this note says. You can use... Um, you can use the term iterative art in place of generative art. And when they say generative art here, I'm looking at some of these, these, what, this 12-fold series. And like one of them looks like a bunch of blobs, colored blobs on a grid, and they're different sizes, and of course, different colors. Your red, purple, you know, sky blue, robin eggs blue, that kind of shit. And I'm looking at it and I realize immediately that this probably came out of the Houdini 3D animation and modeling software set. Why do I say Houdini? Um, well, the, the shader looks very familiar because it's, it's blobs. So they're three-dimensional spheres and they're kind of touching each other and they kind of get flat when they touch each other. And there's some, there's some modeling that goes along with that, but you don't want to do it individually. You don't want to shape these spheres and model them each one. So what you do is that you tell something like Houdini, which does this very, very well. I do this shit all the fucking time in Houdini where I lay out like a grid and I've got, and, and then I count up, well, how many points do I want on this grid that are equally spaced? Listen, I could do this not asymmetrically spaced if I wanted to, but I won't get into how. Let's just keep it on a grid. Each one of these points that I put on this grid are equally spaced, and I do that by just saying, hey, I want I want a 13 by 13, uh, 13, you know, uh, squares in X and 13 squares in Y, and then it just basically builds a grid. And at the vertex where each one of these grid lines cross each other is a point, otherwise known as a vertex, I can tell Houdini with a <clears throat> copy and paste node to say, look, I want you to take this model and I give it a sphere. And I want you to put this sphere without any color whatsoever, just a gray sphere on every single one of these points and boom, it does it. And it does it very, very quickly. I can do that inside of 10 seconds with just hitting the escape button, selecting copy, hitting the escape button again, selecting grid, setting how many grid points that I want in that grid connect them, you know, basically connect them together and with the copy paste node and boom, it's, it's, it's done. It's done. That's how easy that is. With a few more things that I can do inside the copy paste node, I can assign random colors. I can assign gradient colors. I can assign the scale. I hear something. Hold on for a second. Something's weird's going on. Okay. Now, now I know what the hell's going on. Apparently my wife, uh, left her phone at home. <laughs> so she's trying to call me on it and my phone and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, had to go run my phone up to my wife. But where was I? I think I was talking about this iterative art issue <clears throat> and how I do it in something like a 3D modeling package like Houdini. You know, again, once this shit is done, I set up a grid, I can copy spheres to it, and then I can give that those spheres random attributes like color, scale, rotation if it's not a sphere if it's like a you know a cube or something like that i can give it random rotations i can give it random heights above the the grid plane where the the points are i can do all kinds of shit 
And I can make that to where not only is it randomized, um, I could say, I don't want it random. I want you to take the indice number of each individual point because they're all individually numbered going from zero to however many points you have and say, multiply this attribute by this number. So as the grid gets, you know, up and to the right, the numbers get larger and therefore so would the spheres. And this is all just mathematical iteration. Once I've got the template built, I can do anything. I can put monkey faces on each one. Like I don't even have to use 3D modeling. I can just use like a, I can collect up, you know, go right click and save all the monkey JPEGs that are out there right now that people think have value. And I can cut them out and I can actually run an algorithm in Houdini to basically, you know, make uh, the white background uh, of a monkey JPEG in alpha and then just have it to where it just randomized all the monkey JPEGs and put different scales and rotations. And then I can overlay color and random colors on it. And I can come up and I can say, there's another thing called a, it's called a widget in Houdini where I can say, okay, I need you to send these to render. However, when you send them to rent, to render out these things, I want you, Mr. Widget, which is like the last thing in the line before it goes to render, to go back and talk to copy. And I want you to change every single time that you send something to render, I want you to change this attribute. Well, hell, I can just put it, and then it's, and then Mr. Widget says, well, how many iterations? And I like, you know, like 12 fold, I say, I want 300 iterations of it. I want, you know, and, and it can, you know, go, well, we'll put spheres here, we'll put, uh, you know, cubes here, put the, you know, cut out monkey faces here. And all of a sudden I've got a machine that just generates this shit for as long as I want, for as many as I want. It does not matter. It just doesn't. These have no value, first of all, because they're NFTs. Second of all, because it takes almost nothing to actually create these things. Once, you've, once you're set up, you can just grind these things out without having to put another pen or a piece of, you know, pen to paper or pencil to paper or, you know, like marker to paper. You don't have to do, actually commit yourself to proof of work of creating art. That's what I'm getting at. That's why these things have no fucking inherent value. I mean, just because this one monkey looks different than any other monkey and no other monkey will ever look like that does not mean at all that it has an inherent intrinsic value. If somebody had actually had to draw that, that may be different. But I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm like, most of this is just being generated once a template has been put in place. And the only real work came in building that template. But that's enough on that. I got this one, which goes into housing and Bitcoin. That's why it's called Bitcoin and because we talk about Bitcoin and other things. Why I sold my house to buy, buy the Bitcoin dip. This is written by Mickey Koss, K-O-S-S for Bitcoin Magazine. I actually started this article nearly a year ago and had abandoned it until the idea was reinvigorated through a Twitter spaces with toxic happy hour. When hearing pub Lord Hoddle speak about wealth taxes there, the implication suddenly slapped me across the face. Wealth taxes and property taxes mean that you never truly own anything, ever. And maybe that's the point. 
You already own nothing, you just don't know it yet. Back in 2018, my wife and I decided to leverage our Virginia home. Oh, actually, I guess it says VA home loan benefit, so maybe that's Veterans Administration because he is military. Our VA home loan benefit to purchase a home at our new duty station. The home was in a nice pocket of a low-income area, so the price would allow us to rent the home after leaving it to try and build some wealth and cash flow. Fast forward two years. We were met with the unconscionable black swan event. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. The event I'm alluding to were the eviction moratoriums that were passed hastily during that period. And here's a tweet from Beverly A. Piccala on Twitter says, I'm gonna leave this right here. Quote, Los Angeles County Board votes to extend moratorium on evictions and rent increases. And if you think that tweet was made a couple of years ago, it wasn't. This was January the 31st of 2023. Ladies and gentlemen, that was just 28 days ago. Now, through luck and happenstance, our tenant remained in place and kept paying rent. But had they stopped, it could have meant financial disaster. The message was clear and the precedent was set. I no longer had rights to my own property. We worked diligently to sell the home, eventually offloading it through an off-market deal to another investor, and we used the proceeds to buy that beautiful, glorious Bitcoin price dip in 2021. Like many in the military and the middle class alike, home ownership is an essential piece to building long-term wealth for me. For military folks especially, the frequent moves makes this difficult to do without choosing properties that can be rented out after you move. I see the risks, however, as having increased exponentially after what happened in 2020. I don't think it's a viable strategy anymore. Furthermore, if we were to pay off properties and own them outright, we would still owe taxes every year. And what's to stop another rent moratorium from going into effect? Or worse, a wealth tax. Really got me thinking, do we already own nothing and we just don't know it yet? It took me a while to understand this, but Bitcoin is the only thing that I truly own. The talk of wealth taxes and eating the rich has been causing me to reevaluate this lesson. It makes me think about the Jeff Booth thesis above, and it's a tweet where Jeff Booth says, we are told we need inflation. This is not true. It only seems true because the rules of the game were designed that way. Bitcoin is attractive at first because of price go up or PGU. Uh, but you inevitably hit an inflection point. Will you panic sell at the first sign of danger? Or will you dig deeper through proof of work and uncover the true value? The true value of Bitcoin is not reflected in its day-to-day -day price fluctuations. The value of Bitcoin is reflected in its ability to empower the individual. Bitcoin in self-custody is fundamentally freedom go up technology or FGU. The confiscation-resistant nature enables people to exercise jurisdictional arbitrage, fleeing hostile areas without coercive exit taxes or penalties. It levels the playing field for individuals, a fact that is going to become more obvious in coming years. And here is a tweet that he's inserted from a guy named Curtis Herbert says, California seems to want to solidify its title as having the highest homeless population and driving the richest people out of their state. This is what happens when you start to run out of other people's money. And again, that was actually February the 1st of this year. This was not back in 2021. This is this year. And he's got a picture of 
these kids holding up, you know, that one of them apparently attends University of Southern California, which isn't exactly a cheap school, says tax the rich and feed the poor. Mm-hmm. Freedom can only exist in a state where individual rights are protected, including property rights. What pe- people fail to realize is that politics targeting the rich may inevitably be the very things preventing them from joining that group, notwithstanding that those very policies may change, targeting the individuals who once supported them. Yeah, that always happens. This is first order thinking, wrought with unforeseen consequences and unplanned impacts, an insidious envy based on a scarcity mindset. In a world bereft of monetary scarcity, everything else becomes scarce as a result. That is an important sentence. I want to come back to that one. Wealth taxes solve the problem the same way vengeance does. Short-term satisfaction with potentially dire long-term implications. If you think the last bull market was exciting, just wait until nation states start passing wealth taxes. Bitcoin's true value will be reflected in time. And until then, I will continue to stay humble and stack sats waiting for the inevitable. Mickey Koss, again, writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. I'm going to start here. In a world bereft of monetary scarcity, everything else becomes scarce as a result. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Even clean drinking water is scarce in comparison to our monetary situation. And that's not just the United States or Canada. It's all of the West. It's all of Africa. It's Australia. It's... Japan, China, Russia, it's everyone. We've all allowed these these jackals free reign in the hen house, and now we're wondering why we ain't got no hens left. You got to kill the jackals, or at least, you know, bait them somewhere outside your property, which gets back to his main concern. Does he really own property? That's a good question, and I understand the sentiment. However, I, I'm, it's not that I'm going to push back. It is, a, it is the case in, I don't know, I, maybe there's one country in the world that doesn't charge property taxes. I, if, if, that, if that exists, please tell me where that is because I'd like to move there. I want to just own my property. I don't want to pay property taxes on it. I don't want to constantly have to monetarily barf up money so that I can continue to own that which I've already purchased because that's the real gist here. If you know of that place, please tell me where it is. And if somebody, you know, is like in El Salvador has a chance of getting in Bukele's ear and say, you know how we're really going to attract people? We're not going to charge any property taxes. We're going to guarantee under the constitution that if you buy a piece of property outright from somebody else that you own it until you either sell it or your children or children's children or children's children children sell it, right? That that would attract me. Not the business potential, not the fact that Bitcoin is legal tender. No, what will attract me to denounce my U.S. citizenship and move the fuck somewhere else is somewhere else guaranteeing somehow. I know it's all it's all paper, but at least make the damn effort, and I will I will consider it to let me own my property without paying taxes on said property. Now, all that said, does that mean that I won't buy a house knowing that I'm going to have to pay property taxes on it or a mortgage? No, I will do that. 
I, I want property. I, you know, I want to own a house again right now I'm renting and you want to talk about something that really makes, really makes raises the hackles on my neck is having to rent, which I should be all about renting because the companies that I'm, you know, the, my family companies own property that we rent. It's part of the family business income. And so I want people to rent. I just don't want it to be me. So I still find it valuable to have a piece of property, even though there's property taxes involved, even though there's other things involved. But there's this guy that came out of the woodwork on Nostra the other day and said something that I got interested in and basically how to avoid paying property taxes or trust. Now, the following, you should not take to heart. You should not immediately go out and do this. However, if you're interested, it and I am, I am going to need to actually research a hell of a lot more than this. Thankfully, he's given me enough, I think enough that I need to start that research, which is the actual in, uh, internal revenue service code. We'll get to it. So Trevor, I'm just going to say Trevor, reached out to me and said something about this. And I said, how do you do this? How do you not pay taxes and property taxes and whatnot like that with the trust? So I'm, you, you might already know where he's wrong. I don't, okay? So just bear with me because it's fair for everybody to at least hear the possibility. A trust is a fiduciary relationship with three main parts. A grantor, that, that which created it. The trustee, that which administers it. And a beneficiary, which benefits from it. If the trustee the administration part of it, has substantial decision-making power and is, and is foreign to the United States and Canada, the trust itself becomes foreign to the United States, which, by the way, is different than United States of America. If you put your property in a foreign trust, it becomes outside of the jurisdiction of the United States. It becomes foreign property, which also makes your income untaxable. And then he gives the IRS code. We'll get to that in a second. He says, go there and look at 21.7.13.3.2.7.1. No wonder 73% of Americans think the financial system is just unruly. <laughs> the tax code by itself is just mind bending. This type of trust by law becomes a natural person. To the government, you are actually considered an artificial person. You don't let lawyers and judges lie to you. This is the actual truth. When 144 natural persons come together, you can create a micro-republic which operates outside of the jurisdiction of the United States. This is what all Bitcoiners, everyone really, should be doing. Now, um, I don't know if this guy, I, I mean, Here's the thing, the tax code is so insidious in the way that it's written that you, I mean, this, these are the types of tools that the very rich indeed use to get out of paying taxes. And who wouldn't wanna pay taxes? I don't wanna pay taxes, why? Because I just think the thought of using the money that I make and have it stolen from me instead of feeding my kids with it taken and, and put into a missile that is then used to do a ground strike and kills brown people in a country whose name I can't even pronounce is gut-wrenching to me. I don't think I should be able to, I don't think I should be have to, I don't think I should be made to allow that. 
And if there's any way, shape or form that I can get out of doing this legally, I'm going to look at it. So what I looked at was in fact, this particular thing, this, and here's well, 21.7.13.2.1. And here's, I'm just gonna read this direct from the irs.gov. Every business entity required is required to file a federal tax return and must have or be assigned an EIN or an employer identification number. Exceptions. Foreign corporations and individuals not engaged in a trade or business in the United States and foreign partnerships, foreign trusts, foreign estates that do not have gross income that is or is treated as effectively connected with the conduct of trade or business are not required to obtain an EIN and do not have to file a return unless they otherwise have United States source income on which the tax liability was not fully satisfied by the withholding at tax at the source. Now, I'm not going to pretend at all that I know exactly what the hell that means. However, there's enough wording and enough phrasing and I do understand grammar just well enough to be able to say, well, that actually seems to corroborate what my good friend Trevor is trying to tell me. That means that it's worth me looking into. And me looking into it includes actually having to spend the time reading more of this and then calling my accountant or the guy that does my taxes and say, you tell me the 10 reasons why doing this shit will get me thrown in jail if it's in the IRS. And he may actually come back and say, no, you can do this. And if you want me to set it up, we'll, we, we've got to spend this much money and you're going to pay me this much money, but we can set it up and we can treat it just this way. I don't know yet. But we're, I think we're coming to the time when maybe we need to start, I was saying yesterday, leveraging the knowledge of what a sheriff actually does. Maybe we should become tax experts and figure out how to get out all this so we can stop bombing brown people in countries whose names we can't pronounce. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. They got West Texas Intermediate Oil is up 1.8% to $77.04. Brent North Sea is likewise up 1.72% to $83.87. Natural gas, wow, not swinging for the fences, although it was earlier this morning. It is up 0.73% to $2.75 a thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up 2.48% to $2.42 a gallon. Shiny Metal Rocks having a pretty good day. I guess uh, Schiff is happy about 0.67% upside to gold, putting it at $1,837.20. Silver is up almost a point and a half to $21.09. Platinum is up 1.79%. Copper is up 1.75%. Palladium, the only loser, down a half. We've got what? Oh, I've got agricultural stuff and it's all down. The only winner today at all on my short list is 1.56% to the upside. And that's my favorite commodity in the world, chocolate. Yeah, fuck wheat, because it's down a half a point. But the biggest loser today, soybean down 2.2%. The general indice markets, the Dow is down almost a half point. S&P is up 0.13%. NASDAQ is up almost a half point. S&P mini chilling out at 0.42% to the upside. Real money says what? $23,386 and six cents.
And for whatever reason, BitInfo Charts keeps forgetting that I only want Bitcoin in my shitcoin indicator and keeps giving me all the rest of the shitcoin. So I have to turn them off. Uh, now, <clears throat> excuse me. We've had 388,000 Bitcoin sit in the last 24 hours. Uh, 1.14 BTC is the average transaction value, while 0.014 BTC is the median transaction value. That's about 335 bucks, so it's kind of low. Block times are low as well. Nine minutes and 36 seconds, 0.17 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And holy shit, 26.8 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours, but a 12.65% drop in hash rate, according to BitInfo charts, brings us all the way down to a scant 301.9 exahashes per second. And if you understand the way this works, you know that I'm just... I'm just joking because that's a lot of security. Uh, shitcoin indicator rising a little bit. So I guess shitcoins are doing okay. Point, no, I'm just going to say it. 8.2 United States pennies. I wish I could just reset that. Uh, we have a $449.9 billion market cap. That is 12 or no, 3.72% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 12.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,304,182.5 of, and 5,404.05 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at, wow, $125.9 million, being run over 16,257 nodes sporting 76,273 channels that we know about, and 67.8% of all that shit's being run over. Tor's associated 11,511 Lightning Network nodes. There are 9,426 transactions waiting on 16 blocks to clear. We have one Satoshi per V-byte as the minimum fee rate. That's probably a little low, but this is Clark Moody's Bitcoin, so I do have a tendency to trust it. Estimated difficulty change, downside 2.7% going to happen on March the 10th, 2023. That's the weather. It's part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin-friendly Cash App has integrated tax bit amid tax filing season. Pausing to say that when we call it tax season, what we're doing, and somehow we've been suckered into this, is allowing taxes to become like football or any kind of other sports ball. We're looking forward to sports ball season, y'all. It's grilling season. It's tanning season. It's duck season. No, it's rabbit season. And now it's fucking tax season, baby. It's just stupid. Stop calling it tax season. Call it theft season or something. Mobile payment processor Cash App has integrated crypto tax and accounting software TaxBit into its services, giving Bitcoin holders a more streamlined approach to getting robbed. I mean, reporting their taxes. As of February the 28th, Cash App users can now keep track of their Bitcoin transactions for tax reporting purposes using TaxBit, both companies announced. TaxBit's chief operating officer, Lindsay Argulis, said her company's platform simplifies tax reporting for everyone who has integrated digital assets into the portfolio. Cash App launched its Bitcoin trading services in 2018 and rolled out BTC deposits the following year. The company claimed to have over 10 
million Bitcoin users. Cash App's parent company, Block Inc., has generated billions of dollars in Bitcoin revenue over the years. According to the United States Securities and Exchange filings, Block Inc. generated $1.96 billion in Bitcoin revenue during the fourth quarter of 2021 alone. Taxbit launched Taxbit Network in 2022 to provide crypto traders free tax forms. The industry consortium launched with over a dozen U.S.-based companies, including PayPal, Coinbase, Binance, uh, Paxos, and Gemini. Washington's IRS set January 23rd as the start of the 2022 tax filing season. Most taxpayers have until April the 18th, not the 14th. This, it's always been the 14th until this pandemic started. And now it's kind, now it kind of floats around and we have to wait for a fucking announcement from the IRS. But anyway, this year, April 18th, to file and pay any taxes owed is the date you need to be looking at. In January, the IRS reminded taxpayers of their crypto income reporting obligations. This includes capital gains from trading, mining, and staking activities. I'm getting, I'm just getting tired because all they're gonna do is take money away from me that I could use to, I don't know, start a Silvo pasture and, you know, have, a, a much better life than sitting in a cubicle somewhere under fluorescent lights doing something for somebody else. But no, I've got to give it to them so they can launder it through the Ukraine and drop bombs on people in, I don't know, just figure out any Middle Eastern country right now, which apparently looks like we might be shifting from the Ukraine and the Middle East to being really worried about China. But we're not going to get into that part just yet. Actually, we're not going to get into it all because we've got bigger fish to fry, and it's called the Bank of England. The Bank of England has no technical skills to issue a CBDC yet, according to its deputy governor. Cointelegraph's Helen Parts tells us all about it, and I got some notes here. According to a deputy governor, the United Kingdom is not ready to issue a central bank digital currency just yet, as the Bank of England does not have enough expertise. There is more than 50% chance that the Central Bank of the United Kingdom would issue a CBDC, but the regulator doesn't have the technical skills to issue a digital currency yet. BOE Deputy Governor John Cunliffe, is it Cunliffe? Yeah, Cunliffe declared at the Treasury Select Committee hearing February the 28th. That's just today, ladies and gentlemen. Cunliffe said today that the BOE expects to get the necessary expertise to move forward with the CBDC development in the next phase with the central bank planning to test a potential digital pound with private sector partners. But to move to the next stage, which would be to build a working prototype to test in a simulated environment, and then you'd be into testing in a live environment and then implementation. This next phase is designed to put us in a position to do just that, the deputy governor stated. Cunliffe stressed that the design and structure of a potential digital pound would vary greatly depending on the motivation of the CBDC. Bank of England's basic motivation here would likely be providing digital cash or the digital equivalent of Bank of England notes for general payment purposes, he said, adding, quote, we didn't want a system in which there were two forms of Bank of England money circulating, remunerated and unremunerated. And also, we didn't want a system where we would be producing something which would have the characteristics of a savings product. 
end quote. The deputy governor also highlighted some potential CBDC functions and benefits currently not present in the existing financial system. Comparing a potential digital pound with Apple's iPhone app store, Cunliffe said that a CBDC is about opening a new frontier for people to improve payments and the way in which money is used. He mentioned micropayments as a major potential use case for the digital pound, stating, quote, This will be much, much easier for you to make very, very small payments. So, if you wanted to read an article in a newspaper, you wouldn't have to subscribe to that newspaper. You could pay tiny fractions to do that. I know it's hard not to say it. Just finished. The news comes amid the UK government's growing increasingly involved in the CBDC development, with the Treasury opening a position <clears throat> to lead the development of a digital pound in January 2023. Previously, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey <clears throat> reportedly expressed doubts about the necessity of a CBDC in the short term, while European finance ministers once again showed support for a retail version of the digital euro. It hurt to read. I made a couple of notes. What's the first one? Cunliffe said that the BOE expects to get necessary expertise to move forward with CBDC development in the next phase. Okay, this is exactly what I was talking about last week, and I think I might have mentioned it on Monday's show yesterday, right? The best and the brightest are not flocking to a treasury department, a bank. And I'm talking, when I mean best and brightest, I mean that guys that can code, women that can code, children that can code and code very, very well with, you know, great, you know, with code that's like properly, you know, referenced, it's refactored, it's not using, you know, it's not using like set, you know, data, it's, it's like it's all, it's all been done in a way that good programming skills, you know, call for, as well as really creative ways to do things like become more efficient, more effective. There's people that design UXs that are just, we're all over, they're all over Bitcoin. Some of them that could be getting hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for their skills have opted to not do that. Or if they are doing that, they're working on Bitcoin on the side, but they're not flocking to the Bank of England. They're not flocking to the Federal Reserve. They're not flocking to Bank of America. It seems to me that we own the intellectual property of the future of the world inside of Bitcoin. Now, that said, of course I could be wrong, but I kind of don't think that I am. Andrew Polster does not work for the Bank of England. And neither does Adam Back. Think about that. Think about that. So for those of you guys that are going, you know, I'll never be able to do anything with Bitcoin. And I'm kind of a good coder, but there's just, you know, not much for me to do. Well, then go do this. Go take a job at the BOE and help them build that CBDC. And then use a NIM to help Bitcoin by writing code to shield against the intelligence that you gather working as an insider. Don't get caught. Don't work on the code at your office at the Bank of England or whatever you decide to go to. Do it at home. Don't use your own name. Don't use anything that can connect you to that particular identity, your real life identity, the people that pay, you know, your identity that you have to pay taxes on, that you get paid with, blah, 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 from the Bank of England. 
use go completely anonymous second life kind of thing. And I'm not talking about the bullshit game second life. I'm literally talking about leading a second life with an anonymous NIM. That's why we call them NIMs, right? Do that. What are they doing on the inside to make these CBDCs work? Bring that knowledge and effectively shield Bitcoin against it. Did you hear something about a regulatory schema that your coworkers were telling? Make sure that the Bitcoiners know about it. Seriously, man, undermine. Get in, get hooked in, and then use the system that you're working for to garner information and pump it out in a safe and effective way that doesn't get your ass in trouble to the rest of the Bitcoin world so that we know what the fuck's going on. Do it smartly. Don't be like the only guy that could have ever heard something in a room and be, you know, don't say that you're a Bitcoiner. Say you hate Bitcoin when you go to work for these guys. Go in every day with a shirt that says, you know, Bitcoin sign on it with a great big red circle around it and a slash through it. No Bitcoin for me. Fuck that shit. I want fiat. You know, be the fiat boy. Get their trust. Use that trust against them. I know it sounds like a ter- I'm a terrible person. No, I'm not. The people that are doing this are terrible people because we've already solved most of this shit. I mean, we, we have this note right here. What, what does it say? This will be much, much easier for you to make very, very small payments. So if you want to read an article in a newspaper, you could just pay tiny fractions to do that. What does that sound like to you? We already have this function. We already have it. Newsweek or whatever, like, uh, you know, mainstream media newspaper or magazine that you want to go read an article from. How many times have you heard me say, you know, if you would just charge me 50 cents in Bitcoin and I could just, you know, throw me a QR code for Lightning Network, we'd already be done. I'd already be reading the damn article. You'd have 50 cents worth of Bitcoin and you could sell it immediately when you get it so that you make sure that you don't have to deal with volatility. They're never going to do that. They're going to wait for CBDCs to do that because the media companies are completely owned by governments and huge mega multinational corporations like Pfizer and Bear Crop Science and all those kinds of people to push their ever love and evil to the rest of the world. So we have this chance to rebuild all of media from the Bitcoin perspective, the ethics of Bitcoin perspective. Let's say that you don't really, you want a media corporation that doesn't say shit about Bitcoin. Take the ethics with you and then charge Bitcoin so that somebody doesn't have to pay you a subscription fee and enter an email and a phone number and a credit card and your license plate and the name of your firstborn and all that kind of shit. Just give me a QR code. And I will, I will send you my Satoshis before I send Newsweek my Satoshis. I guarantee you that. We have a chance. We have a chance to build it. Otherwise, we're going to end up with what? We didn't want to build a system where we were producing something which could have characteristics of a a savings product. Wait, what? See, this brings us to this this weird thing. Now, I've I've talked about it before. Um, The CBDC that the Bank of England is talking about, you know, I kind of railed against it before I read on a little bit further into an article, which I'm I'm guilty of doing. I, I admit it, but it makes for a fun show. What I found, came to find out is that, yes, the CBDC itself is supposed to be used for cash transactions. It's not meant to be used as a savings product. You can keep digital pounds in your bank account for that. But then I started thinking when I read this, we've got a savings pool and a cash transaction system with the CBDC. 
So you got savings over here, it's segregated. And then you can maybe move, you know, a few digital pounds across whatever their rules are going to be. And there will be rules into your ability to transact with said digital pounds. And that's where the CBDC is. CBDC, not ACDC. Um, in either event, what do you have? You have segregated systems, right? You have savings pool versus cash transaction system, which segregates the quote unquote types of money, which sounds a lot like what? Divide and conquer. We used to be able to save money in our mattresses if we really wanted to do that. I never did myself, but cash in hand could be saved. Not anymore. So not only will they conquer your ability to do cash transactions by saying you better spend it with only the people that we spend it with. Actually, you won't even have, you won't even have the choice. You will spend your, your digital pound in the CBDC at a, at a, uh, his majesty's registered vendors and service providers. I'm saying, and then they'll destroy savings because they're it's conquered. You've got that. This is classic divide and conquer. If the British people allow this to happen, they're going to be slaves, just like the guys in Nigeria with the e Naira. It's, it's it's slave money at this point. They're turning the entire world's population into slaves. Sure, there's going to be people out there that listen to me and go, "You're cranked, dude. Take the tinfoil hat off." I don't see how you cannot see this anymore. Who's wearing the tinfoil hat now? It ain't me. It ain't me. It ain't me. Maybe it's the guys over at Solana. Solana Foundation, they still don't know what caused the weekend network outage. And I didn't even hear about this, but apparently there's been another outage. Stacy Elliott, Decrypt.co. Two days after a major outage, the Solana Foundation says it's still investigating why the Solana network went down for 20 hours following a network upgrade. Quote, the cause of this is still unknown and under active investigation, the foundation wrote in a blog post. A Solana Foundation spokesperson told Decrypt in an email on Monday that there were still no updates to the information that's already been shared in the blog. That's a big blow for the network that became a major player in the industry in just two years. Solana is the ninth largest blockchain by the total value of assets on the network, $551 million at the time of writing, according, according to CoinMarketCap. It launched in 2020 as a faster, cheaper alternative to shitcoin number one, also known as Ethereum. Since then, it's become home to the second largest NFT market in the industry, having seen $2.6 million in sales in the past day alone, according to Coin, uh, was Crypto Slam. And then there's the whole DeFi thing that's going on. And now I'm not reading directly from this because we are getting a little bit long in the tooth, but there's, let me get to these, uh, one of these, there's a quote in here that just basically sums it up and we can end, end with it. Uh, okay, backlash on Twitter to the Solana outage, the second one, was fiery and persistent throughout the weekend. And by the way, it's not just two, there's been a few, but this is like the second one in more than a handful of days. DeFi doesn't work on a chain that goes down, no matter how low the fees are, wrote a user who goes by Ox Shit Trader on Twitter and says they're an office manager at Ellipsis Labs. Let's see, is there another quote? Yes, Solana 
Solana is like a lifestyle-friendly blockchain because you can have nights and weekends off. Brody wrote on Twitter, and that is Paul Brody, who heads up blockchain initiatives at global accounting firm Ernst & Young. <laughs> You're not talking about like, you know, some sniveling shit coiner out in the, you know, out in the, in the middle of the sticks. No, you're talking about somebody who's at Ernst & Young. It's one of the big four accounting firms globally. Salon is like a lifestyle friendly blockchain because you have nights and weekends off, Brody wrote in, on Twitter on Saturday. When can we all just admit that Solana is a joke? We're so far beyond farce here. How can you build mission critical infrastructure on this nonsense? He continued in another tweet. So there you go. Solana is like, are you serious? And Bitcoiners have been warning everybody and their dogs about shit coins and shit, shit chains for years and we're always pointed at and laughed and everything that we've ever said is coming true, has come true and will come true in the future. Now, breaking, we have breaking news. Visa and MasterCard, this is today by the way, Visa and MasterCard halt new crypto partnerships according to a report and Zhuzhen Sun from Cointelegraph and I know I mispronounced his name is gonna tell us about it. But according to a Reuters report published today, February the 28th, American payment processors Visa and MasterCard have delayed the launch of new partnerships with crypto firms due to high profile bankruptcies in the industry that led to increased regulatory scrutiny. Oh my, the move follows a period of warming relationships between payment giants and crypto firms as the popularity of cryptocurrencies exploded with MasterCard exploring payments in USD coin and Visa targeting stablecoin settlements weeks before today's development. Both Visa and MasterCard are said to be pushing back the launch of certain products and services related to crypto until market conditions and the regulatory environment improve. The delays are reportedly due to an uncertain regulatory crypto environment following the collapse and bankruptcies of digital asset custodial firms such as Celsius, FTX, Sierra's Capital, Voyager Digital, and others within the past year. According to the spokesperson at Visa, quote, recent high profile failures in the crypto sector are an important reminder that we have a long way to go before crypto becomes part of mainstream payments and financial services, end quote. Previously, Visa and MasterCard both partnered with cryptocurrency exchange Binance to issue crypto fiat linked payment cards. Since 2020, Binance's cryptocurrency Visa debit card has been available to residents of the European economic area with teaser cashbacks. Similarly, MasterCard and Binance said that they would launch a prepaid crypto fiat debit card for Brazilian users that pass Know Your Customer Verification requirements. The exchange has also become embroiled in regulatory controversies in recent months. They're talking about Binance. On February the 13th, blockchain infrastructure company Paxos announced that it would end its relationship with Binance over the issuance of BUSD stablecoin. And on February the 8th, Binance temporarily suspended United States dollar deposits and withdrawals over Society for Worldwide Internet, sorry, Interbank Financial Telecommunications or SWIFT channels, citing its banking partner, Signature Bank, and their decision to reduce cryptocurrency exposure. Okay, I've got a note. <clears throat> Recent high profile failures in the crypto sector are an important reminder that we have a long way to go before crypto becomes part of mainstream payments and financial services. This just pop, my, this question just popped into my head the minute that I wrote this. 
It is just a question. I don't know. I don't have insider knowledge. It's just a question. Is this what SBF or Sam Bankman Fried was charged to do? To disrupt relationships between private legacy finance and crypto? It's possible. Because maybe it wasn't just to get under the skin and, you know, somehow or another destroy the wealth that I as a Bitcoiner hold in cold storage. Maybe it had nothing to do with that. Maybe what was really being done is they wanted to make deadly sure, and they being the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, the CFTC, SEC, the European Central Bank, that's they, okay? They as a group of people that go drink champagne while they're wearing fucking bow ties and tails and shit at cocktail parties that you will never see the inside of. That they, when I say they, that's the they that I'm talking about, okay? So who's they? You now know who they is. They do not want a warm and cozy, comfortable relationship between shit like Visa, MasterCard, and quote unquote crypto. And I'm, I, I cringe when I say it, but you understand what I mean and what I'm getting at. And this was a very effective cock block when you think about it. They had all this shit blow up damn near in domino formation one after another over the period of what, eight months? And they progressively got worse and worse and worse until who? SBF, who has been connected with all this shit ever since Terra Luna. He was always there. Terra Luna went first, but that doesn't mean that Sam Bankman-Fried was not there. This is complete conspiracy theory. That I understand. I'm definitely putting my tinfoil hat on for this one, but it is a question because this was a, because if that's true, then that was an effective, an effective maneuver by they. Now, last one. Nah, last one. I'm not going to do the uh, best multi-sig wallets today. We'll, we'll do that one another day. Uh, but I do want to do this one. Wrapped Bitcoin supply dropped to negative after 11,500 WBTC burn linked to Celsius. Getting back to this entire crypto winter. Cointelegraph Prashant Jha ends us with this one. The supply of wrapped Bitcoin, WBTC, dropped to its lowest since May of 2021 after the second largest single-day burn yesterday, February the 27th. A total of 11,500 WBTC worth $260 million US linked to now bankrupt crypto lender Celsius was burned, turning its growth rate negative. The total crypt current supply of wrapped the, the, the wrap token is 164,000 WBTC with a monthly growth rate of negative 7.39%. For those of you who don't know, WBTC is an Ethereum-based ERC-20 token that mirrors the value of Bitcoin and is pegged one-to-one with the price of Bitcoin. BitGo, those ass wipes, co-developed WBTC in 2019 alongside blockchain interoperability protocol REN and multi-chain liquidity platform Kyber. WBTC is managed by the decentralized autonomous organization WBTC DAO, which comprises over 30 members of basically criminals. That's not in the article. That's me saying. Uh, When merchants want to exchange BTC for WBTC, they start a burn transaction and alert the custodians. The merchant transfers real Bitcoin 
actual Bitcoin to a custodial address on the Bitcoin blockchain, which is locked. Once it receives the real actual BTC, the custodian address mints the equivalent amount of WBTC on Ethereum. I'm pausing to say, when was the last time you actually heard anything about WBTC? And you may have heard a lot more than I have because I've been booted off of Twitter, which is why you should all move over to Nostra where we're not talking about any of this ephemeral crap that is not going to matter in two to 10 years. Continuing on, being an ERC-20 token makes the transfer of WBTC faster than normal Bitcoin, but the key advantage of WBTC is its integration into the world of Ethereum wallets, decentralized applications, and smart contracts which is all three of those have led to nothing but serious problems. During the peak of the bull run, wrapped tokens became a popular tool of use in the decentralized finance ecosystem. WBTC supply peaked at 285,000 in April of 2022 when the price of BTC was trading just above $48,000. However, with the advent of the bear market, and numerous crypto contagions, the demand started to fade away. The first signs of lowering demand came after the Terra Luna collapse, which forced several crypto lenders to redeem their WBTC. According to one report, Celsius Network redeemed 9,000 wrapped Bitcoin amid a growing withdrawal demand. A similar scenario occurred in November of 2022 after the FTX collapse, where reports indicate the now bankrupt crypto exchange tried redeeming 3,000 WBTC just before filing for bankruptcy. After the FTX collapse in November, WBTC experienced its largest monthly coin redemption with over 28,000 wrapped BTC redeemed back to the original coin. And you were lucky. The market contagion caused by the FTX collapse also depegged WBTC from the original value of BTC. We got to read it again because it probably didn't hear it. The market contagion caused by FTX collapse depegged WBTC from the original value of BTC. And although the slippage was just about 1.5%, it raised serious concerns about whether such synthetic tokens were a viable mode of value transfer. Spoiler, they're not. Yeah, spoiler, they're not is actually my note that I wrote on this. They're not. This algorithmic stablecoins, synthetic stablecoins, synthetic wrapped coins, it's all bullshit. And anybody who really believes really believes that at one point or another, there will never be a time that you can't unwind your wrapped BTC for actual BTC is going to have fun staying poor. That's just the way it is. There will come a time when you will try to unwrap your BTC and it won't be given to you as BTC. Somebody somewhere will go, you know, well, we really don't have the BTC. One of the things that happened with wrapped BTC when it first came out was that all of the Ethereans and all the shitcoiners were saying, we don't need BTC anymore. See, it goes much faster on Ethereum. We have wrapped BTC. That's the amount of actual Bitcoin that's on Ethereum. Actual Bitcoin has never been on Ethereum. The two platforms do not talk to each other. 
All of the formats are different. The cryptography is different. Everything about the systems are different. If you want to find out that I'm telling you the truth because you think I'm full of it, well, do this. Go grab your cold storage wallet and send a full Bitcoin to an Ethereum address and see what happens. See what happens. Do it. I'll wait. No, actually, I'm not going to wait. What I'm going to tell you is that bad shit's going to happen to you if you try to do this. If you're lucky, you know, the transaction just won't ever occur and you won't lose one Bitcoin. But you'll never get your actual Bitcoin over to Ethereum. It's never going to happen. The wrapped BTC is issued by a quote-unquote smart contract. Who's in control of that contract? Who wrote it? Who has back doors into it? Do, you, do we know any of this? No, we do not. We have no assurances whatsoever that when you put BTC into this locked Bitcoin address on the Bitcoin blockchain, not on Ethereum, then you are issued this wrapped BTC, which represents the locked BTC on the Bitcoin blockchain over on Ethereum, you have no guarantees that when you try to sell that wrapped BTC and get the original Bitcoin back, that you're going to get it. What if they're rehypothecating it? We don't know. Nobody really knows jack shit about Ethereum. It's a complete trash chain. So please, please, please understand that when they say in this article that after the FTX collapse in November, WBTC experienced its largest monthly coin redemption with over 28,000 WBTC redeemed back to the original coin. It worked at that time. Will it work again in the future? And I have seen almost nothing about WBTC in months until I saw this article, but it is going to end the morning roundup. It's a joke. Dad says jokes. I returned my lizard to the pet store today. It wouldn't stop telling me jokes. The store clerk said, that's not a lizard. It's a stand-up chameleon. Huh? 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 Ah, that's pretty good. Ah, that's, I like that one. That's not bad at all. All right. <coughs> I will dispense with the what did we learn segment of the show. Um, just to say... If you're not on Noster, get on Noster. Start using Stacker News. I, I guarantee you that an entire new corpus of media and media production companies are going to rise out of not just those two things, but those two things represent the wider world of media that's being created by Bitcoiners with the Bitcoin ethos, even if they're not reporting on Bitcoin like I do. All right. We're going to rebuild the worldwide media section. This has always been on my mind, but it's never been more evident than it is as I watch the legacy media just go down in flames and people like the Bank of England suggesting that they're going to be waiting around for them to finally release a CBDC so they can unlock their articles without a subscription fee that I've been doing for two years now with Bitcoin, but only with Bitcoin mediated and ethically derived companies. We've been doing this shit. 
I don't think Newsweek is going to hang her on. I don't, they're hanging on by their fingernails now. If they're still even alive by the time the United States or Bank of England or something like that allows that shit to occur, well, guess what? I mean, am, am I going to be able to legally buy Newsweek if I'm a British citizen? I mean, there's all kinds of, sh- I, there's, I can't watch YouTube videos from different countries. Some countries I can, but there's a lot of times where I'm like, this video is unavailable in your area. I, I'm serious, man. I mean, you've, you've seen it too. You know, don't, don't be shy. You've gone in, you were on Twitter and somebody posts a video and you can see it and you click on it. And it's like, oh, video not available for you. Yeah, that's just, see, all that's just a terrible mess. And Bitcoin cuts through all that shit like a butter knife. It's just like a saber, like a fucking Tomahawk cruise missile. It just doesn't even see any of this stuff. So we're going to rebuild all the media. Don't you worry about that shit. Will it take time? Yep, it'll still be being built by the time I'm six foot under, but be that as it may, we're going to do it. Now, what will help me do it is if you use podcasting 2.0 to listen to this podcast, stream me Satoshi's, help support the show, help support do what I do. I read you what's going on in Bitcoin so that you don't drive into a tree, gravel truck, off a cliff, reading it yourself on your phone. You can listen to me tell you what the hell's going on with relatively trusted news sources, right? Some of the better ones that we have in the space anyway. They're not always that great, but we're all learning because we're all going to rebuild this media stuff together, except for Decrypt, who seems to always just want to do nothing about any stories but NFT stories. And I really have to dig through that site to find anything about Bitcoin. But be that as it may, we're all building the new media. It's all going to happen. And I want to be there too. And I need your help to do it. So Boostagram me. I only got one Boostagram for yesterday's show. And I'm not mad. I understand. We're all broke as, you know, broke dig dogs over here. I get it. But if you can, help me out. You know, donate to the show and do it. Honestly, just do it through Boostergrams. You know, I got a PayPal. It's Bitcoin and on PayPal or not PayPal. Uh, Patreon, it's Bitcoin and or Bitcoin and podcast. But I would rather just get Satoshis and podcasting 2.0, newpodcastapps.com, newpodcastapps.com. If you want to find a podcast app that supports Bitcoin 2.0, because that, not Bitcoin, podcasting 2.0, that's the way you get Satoshis to me. That's the way you get Boostagrams to me with Satoshis and messages attached. That's the way we're going in the future. You might as well get on board now because it's, the legacy, the legacy uh, podcasting apps is like the legacy financial system. It's all going to burn because their entire model does not work in the world that is shaped, that is being shaped around us right now. With all that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.